0: All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and get started right on time tonight. Um, First of all, I just want to thank you all for being here. Uh, Probably be back in this room again next week. Uh, We just don't know how long it's going to take for that other room to be finished, but we'll let you know when it is. Uh, So just, you know, just come right back here next week. Uh, We'll keep trying to, you know, accommodate everyone who comes, and again, we want to open it up and certainly want you to invite your friends with you, and we'll make room for them somehow. Okay? We'll get them in here. Uh, again, just thank you all for being here. Uh, the mine is primarily a, a study of the Word of God, as you folks know, and that's why you're here. But just to also let you know sort of where we're coming from, uh, one of the things that I have been asked over the years uh, is, how do you get more out of your time in God's Word? And one of The big answers for me is preparation. Uh, I believe that the more time you and I prepare our hearts and our minds to receive from God's Word, the more we get out of it once we get in there. And so it's really cool that starting tonight, one of the components of the mind each week is going to be, we're going to be able to have Seth with us, Seth Wells. Uh, Seth is uh, the assistant sort of worship leader here at Cornerstone, and he's going to be with us. Uh, preparing our hearts and our minds to get into the Word of God for a few moments. So we're just going to spend a few moments uh, just again preparing our hearts and minds to get into the Word, and I promise you, we're going to spend almost an hour in the book of Hebrews tonight as well, all right? And we're going to dive right back into it and pick up where we left off last week. So uh, could we just give Seth sort of a good welcome tonight? Yeah. Uh, Just to say this, Seth is, I I just love Seth to death. He's a great guy and since he's come on staff and we've worked together, uh, he has a real heart for the Lord and he loves the Lord and he loves uh, leading people to worship the Lord and so we're just really glad that Seth is here tonight and going to be helping us out and once we get in a bigger venue, we're planning on expanding that a little bit as well and we just got some exciting things planned in the future and we hope you'll hang in there with us. So, without any further delay, Seth, it's all yours, buddy. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Hey, good. Good, good, good. Thank you, buddy. All right. Standing room only. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. We'll find chairs for you. Hey, folks, if I could just encourage you, I know that there is a groundswell of people at this church who want to get into Bible studies and want to dig deeper and get into the Bible more. And that's part of the reason why the mine is growing as it is too. And I just so appreciate you guys being here. Listen, hang in there with us. I know it's cramped. I know it's crowded, whatever, but we're going to be moving into a room real soon. It's going to be able to fit about 200 people comfortably. So, uh, just hang in there, you know? Just like Lynn's saying to people who are as far as church, we're getting into the building real quick, okay? So, just hang in there with us, alright? We're, we're moving ahead, we're moving ahead. Alright, let's get into it. Hebrews chapter 1. And we want to just pick it back up where we left off last week. And again, I share with folks who've never been to the mine that we just take a book of the Bible and we just dig into it hit the highlights, we don't hit everything, but we just want to try to encourage you in the Word of God. If you've been around me, you're going to find out three things about the way I teach the Bible. Passionate, positive, and practical. Those are the three Ps that sort of drive my teaching ministry. I'm very passionate about the Word of God, but I also want to be very positive when I teach I want to use the Word of God to encourage us in our walk with God or to come to know God. And then I want to be practical above everything else. We're not just here in the mind. And that's part of the reason why I think worship and preparing our hearts is important. Because folks, the Bible is not for information, it's for transformation. The Bible was given to us so that we could become more like Jesus Christ. So I don't want you all to come here on Tuesday night just saying, You know what? I'm just coming here just to learn a little bit more and fill my mind a little bit more with Bible facts and figures and all of that. That's not what this is about. This is about coming into the presence of God and coming to the Word of God and allowing God's Word to change us and to transform us and to encourage us and give us the hope that He wants us to have through the Word of God. And so it goes along with the message tonight because another thing that I share with folks is a lot of folks, they stay away from the mind because they say, I can't be there every week. And I say, look, You come as your schedule allows you to come. Uh, You know, each message can sort of stand on its own. So you don't need to, even though we're going through a book of the Bible, and in a sense we're doing a series, it doesn't mean like you totally missed everything by not being here every week. You can get on the website and listen to the ones you have missed. And uh, if you just come, there will be something for you that night that you didn't have to have any tie-in to the previous week. But since we just got started last week, I just wanted to spend a second there because the whole first chapter goes along with the song we just sang about the majesty of Jesus Christ. And the thing that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to see in Hebrews chapter 1 is just the greatness of Jesus Christ. You'll notice there, he talks about the fact that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. And the reason why he brings that up is, again, because he knows his audience, primarily being Jews, they put angels on a pedestal. And he says, look, I'm not putting angels down. I'm just exalting Jesus Christ to the proper place that He deserves. You'll notice beginning in verse 8, Your throne, O God, speaking to the Son, is forever and ever. A righteous scepter is the scepter of Your kingdom. You've loved righteousness, hated lawlessness. So God, Your God, the Father, has anointed You over Your companions with the oil of rejoicing. You founded the earth in the beginning, Lord. You, You created it. They will perish, verse 11. You will continue. You are eternal. They will all grow old like a garment, like a robe you will fold them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will never run out. So he's building here in Hebrews chapter 1, the glory of of Jesus. And then coming into chapter 2, as we started into last week, he's saying this, therefore, all right? They're not going to be out there forever, okay? They're, they're, you know, what? Well, and I can talk really loud too. It is going to have to take a little bit of concentration, and I appreciate that too. Not again, not the prime thing that's going on here, but we're not going to let this obstacle overcome us. We're going to get through it. The word therefore, the very first word of chapter two. Um, anytime you study the Bible and you come to a word like therefore. It is just saying that everything that I have just said is basically the foundation of now what I'm going to try to urge you or encourage you to do. So, it's always logical. It's like I'm, I'm sharing with you this so that, therefore, this is going to make more sense. So, in chapter 2, when we come to chapter 2 of Hebrews, and he says this to us, "...therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away..." He's talking to us in chapter 1 about the fact that Jesus Christ is glorious. And God has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And because God could have chosen so many other ways and, and so many other vehicles to bring the Word of God to us, but He chose His very Son, the glorious Son of God, Jesus Christ, we ought to pay more attention to what Jesus has said to us. And I shared last week how this is so important because we can become desensitized to the glory of Jesus. That's why I think we need to worship the Lord and sing songs and be and get into the word. We can become desensitized to how glorious Jesus is and we can become desensitized to his glorious message. It's almost like we begin to take the word of God as not Something really special, and and to pay close attention to it. And remember, too, that he's writing here to folks who are really struggling. These are Jews who have primarily left the Jewish system of religion, and they have embraced Jesus Christ, but because they have embraced Jesus Christ as their Messiah, just like Jewish people today, they are shunned, they are persecuted. Some of them lose family members and friendships and businesses and all kinds of things because they are willing to publicly embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they have been going through some real heat since they've accepted Christ as their Savior. So the primary reason and motivation for the writer of Hebrews writing this book is to encourage them to hang in there in the midst of the persecution and trials and tribulations that they are finding themselves in. That's why this book is so practical to you and I, because we don't have to be Jews to be going through tremendous trials and difficulties, and as I shared last week, it's not necessarily the intensity of the trial that can get us down after a while, it's the longevity of the trial. If we're in a trial for a long period of time, we can begin to wear down, and that's what was happening here to this group of people that he's writing to. So every time you open up the book of Hebrews, remember this that the words you are reading from these pages are written to people who are in in their own minds, they're in a desperate strait. They're about ready to give up, throw in the towel, and, and just say, I can't go on any longer. And he's writing this letter to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage them to keep on keeping on to persevere, to endure, to go through the trial and not to necessarily ask God to take the trial away so that they can be strengthened, so that they can grow, so that they can learn more about God and about themselves that they would never know had this not happened to them. And so, pay close attention to what Jesus has said. All of us need to do that. We need to get back to the Word of God and pay very close attention to what Jesus has said and what God has said through His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we do not drift away. Again, nautical term. We need to be anchored to Jesus and anchored to His Word. This drifting away was a phrase that was used by sailors that, that spoke about the fact that if you did not drop your anchor, your boat was going to drift. And God doesn't want us to drift through this life, to be carried by the the waves of culture and society and the world and the world's thinking, God wants His people to be anchored to Jesus and to have that stability that only a relationship with Jesus can bring and only His Word can bring, and to have a security in their life that only comes that way. So God doesn't want His people just drifting and just being carried away as Paul would say, by every wind of doctrine, by everything that comes down the pike, everything that comes down the street, whatever things new out there, we just latch on to. No, God wants us to be anchored. He wants us to be anchored in Jesus and anchored to His Word. And to do that, we've got to continually pay close attention to what God has said to us. It really does speak about the focus and our listening skills and being zeroed in on God when He speaks to us. And then... Verse 3, he talks about in chapter 2, let's not neglect such a great salvation. And as I said last week, you can't neglect something you don't have. And I think he's writing here to believers. And he's simply saying, even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can ignore or we can disregard the opportunities that God gives us as His children to be encouraged, to grow, to grow deeper. And that's why I encourage Christians all the time that... Obviously maintaining a balance in your life. And I realize I'm speaking to the wrong people because you're here tonight. You're taking an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord through His Word. But so many times throughout our lives we maybe didn't take those opportunities. Those Bible studies, those life groups, those small churches, those those times where we could be encouraged and be in the Word of God. We didn't take those opportunities. That's what he means to these folks when he says don't neglect such a great salvation. He's saying Take, buy up every opportunity you can as a Christian to grow, to be stretched, to get into the Word of God and to allow God to speak to you. Allow His Son to speak to you so that you and I can be encouraged. Alright? Now, I want to move on tonight because as he leaves us with that foundation, here's what he says. One of the great things that Jesus Christ has done for us, if He has bought back for us what God intended for us as humankind way back in the Garden of Eden. I'm not going to take time again to do this. You can do it on your own if you choose. But if you go back to the book of Genesis and you study it, you realize that the plan that God had for humankind was that Adam and Eve and all those that would come after Him would rule and reign the earth and have dominion over everything. Well, when sin entered into the world, that really destroyed what God had planned for man. God had this glorious plan for mankind, but when sin entered in and when man chose sin, all that God had planned for him at that point was, was taken away for a time. And it's only, as the writer of Hebrews is pointing out here in chapter 2, it's only through the ministry and the coming of Jesus Christ did through Jesus Christ, we're going to get the opportunity to get that back one day. In other words, what was lost in the Garden of Eden through the entrance of sin, one day is going to be gloriously restored to us because of Jesus Christ. So he's saying to these folks, also don't forget about the glorious future that awaits you. Notice he says in verse 5, for He, God, did not put the world to come about which we are speaking under the control of angels. First of all, there's a world to come. <laughs> there's a world to come. This world is not all there is, folks. The Bible clearly teaches there is a world to come. And that world that is coming is then going to reverse the curse of sin. The world to come is going to put man back where man should have been from the Garden of Enon if sin would not have entered in at that time. That's why God is coming with this new world to come. And notice He says the new world to come is not going to be under the control of angels. Because as glorious as a creation as angels are, angels are not going to rule and have dominion over this world to come. Guess who is? You and I. Under the... Reign of Jesus Christ. Notice, instead, verse 6, someone testified somewhere, what is man that you think of him? Remember that. God thinks of you. He has you in His thoughts. He focuses on you. He pays attention to you. The next time again, like these folks may be thinking, as we do when we go through severe trials and long trials, God has forgotten about me. He doesn't think about me. He doesn't notice what I'm going through. He doesn't know what I'm going through. My friends, the Bible teaches something very different. God thinks of man, and He cares for man. Notice verse 6. And then He says, though, in verse 7, you made Him, man, lower than the angels for a little while. And that's key. And all that means is, yeah, angels never have to suffer some of the things that we have to suffer because we live here on the earth. And angels will never have to experience physical death. So for a little while, okay, man is going to be made a little lower than the angels. But, you crowned him with glory and honor. And you put all things, now going back to the book of Genesis, under His control. And again, if you go back to the first couple of chapters of Genesis, you will find that that was God's intention. He told Adam and Eve, you are to have dominion over the entire earth. Everything is to be under your control. Alright? But now notice verse 8. For when He put all things under His control, He left nothing outside of His control. But here's the key. At present, because of the entrance of sin, we do not yet see all things under His control. Man can't even control his own world, much less the world around him. We want to be in control. We might even think we're in control. But we're not. We're not in control. Because of sin, we're now battling forces and things that are much bigger than us, and we need God in order to navigate this world now. Alright? We needed God even before sin entered the world. We really need God now. But there's a world to come. And that world to come, God is bringing to us so that He can restore the glory that He had planned for mankind until sin entered the world. But look at verse 9. I love these first four words. But we see Jesus. And that's the key. You see, the world isn't like it should be. The world today isn't like God designed it to be. Sin messed it up. But because of the willingness of Jesus Christ and what He was going to do when He came to earth, that through Christ... Not only was He going to die for our sins on the cross, and we were going to have a personal relationship with God, but now we have a glorious future awaiting us because of Jesus Christ. And that's why sometimes, folks, when things in your world don't make any sense, the best advice I can give you is just keep your eyes focused on Jesus. How many things we do not understand are put in proper focus if we will just see Jesus? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He said, I know, your world right now, Hebrews, it's out of control. But you've got to keep looking to Jesus. Because notice, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. Because again, in His humiliation and taking upon Himself humanity, He had to suffer death in order to be our Savior and our High Priest. And so He even experienced something through His humanity that the angels never had to experience. One of the things I was sharing today at lunch with a few of the folks as we talk about the Bible and about God and whatever, and they they know I'm going through the book of Hebrews and we were talking about some of this stuff. And I I just said, I said, you realize that the first heresy that the church had to battle was not that Jesus Christ was not 100% God. The first heresy that the church had to battle was that He was 100% man. It was called docetism. It was the very first heresy that the church had to battle. You see, most people back then bought the fact that Jesus Christ was God. They just couldn't buy the fact that He was also 100% human. And so, the Bible clearly teaches that. That Jesus Christ is both 100% God and 100% human. Totally God, totally human. Now, I can't wrap my mind totally around that, but I accept it by faith. That's... What the Bible teaches. Jesus isn't 50% God, 50% man. He's 100% God and 100% man. And then it goes on to say, though he was made lower than the angels for a little while, verse 9, now he is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by God's grace he would experience death on behalf of everyone. And he did this, notice verse 10, so that he could bring many sons to glory. Generic, just means many sons, daughters, whoever. Anyone who accepts Him as their Savior, guess what awaits us? Glory. Glory awaits us. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.18 that I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not going to be worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us. I don't know what your worst day on this earth has been, but think about that. As painful as it is, and realize that the Bible teaches that the worst day we've ever experienced on earth isn't even going to be able to be compared to the glory that awaits us. Because one of the the, the deals here is, that no matter how much pain we go through down here on earth, it's temporary. It's not eternal. But the Bible talks about the eternal weight of glory. And that if you're going to use a scale, and you're going to say, but I've been in pain for 50 years, God would say, but you're going to enjoy glory forever and ever and ever, and ever. So, 50 years compared to eternity? I don't think so. After you and I have been in heaven for a million years, that 50 years of pain would probably start to fade away after a couple million years. You see? (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) And so that's why he's encouraging the Hebrews with this. Now, some would say up to this point, okay, I know I need to pay attention to Jesus when He's speaking to me. I, I know I need to pay attention to His Word. It, it is so encouraging when I just get into the Word and 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 study it and read it. I I understand that, and I, I've I've maybe been neglectful and all of that, and and I understand I've got a glorious future awaiting me, and yeah, that's that's encouraging. But but again, being practical, and I'm what's Jesus doing for me now? <laughs> Okay, Okay, he's making a glorious future for me. I get that. He's preparing a wonderful place. He's going to come back. He's going to get me again. We're going to all be there. That's great, Jeff. But what about the here and now? What about his present ministry to me? Well, look at verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise shared in their humanity so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. One thing that just man, worst fear, is death. And the reason I bring this up is because, here it is, the word, the word in the Greek is phobos, where we get our word phobia from, or fears from, and we all have fears, We just different fears, alright? And here's the deal. The Bible is basically very practically saying this. When you and I come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the goals of that relationship, even for here and now, is to set us free from the greatest fear that mankind has, and that's the fear of death, so that implies that every lesser fear has also been conquered through our relationship with Christ. And God has not, according to 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, God has not given us the spirit of fear or of phobias, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God doesn't want His people to be afraid. He doesn't want His people to have fear at all. He wants to set His people completely free. And that just simply means to become all that God created us to become. But when you and I are afraid, when you and I allow those fears and those worries and those anxieties to creep into our life, it it squeezes us from becoming all that He created us to be. And so God says, let me set you free. And Jesus said, you know the truth? The truth shall what? Set you free. If the Son has set you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. John chapter 8, verse 32 and 36. God has come to people free. And yet we know that we are in bondage sometimes to our fears. I've shared with people before that for many, a couple of years, I suffered from fear and panic attacks and anxiety. Uh, it was due to stress. And it can come on you All kinds of different ways and many different avenues. But we live in a world of stress and anxiety and fear. And God came to set us free. And I'll just stand before you tonight and say, praise God. He set me free from that. Haven't had a panic attack since I can't tell you when. And one of my ministries in this church and every church that I've been a part of for years and years and years is just to testify to that because I know that there are people out there who are even afraid to talk about it because they're ashamed of it. I say, don't be ashamed. When you speak that out, it loses its power. And when you begin to realize that there are other people struggling with the same thing that you struggle with, it somehow loses its grip over you. And when you begin to turn your life more and more over to Jesus Christ, He begins to set you free. I love the illustration of the African impala. I'm not talking about the car now. I'm talking about the animal. (laughs) The African impala is this magnificent creature that God made, and it can jump to a height of six feet and cover almost a distance of 30 feet. That's how high this animal can jump. Yet it can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo by a three-foot-high wall. Reason? Because the African impala will not jump where it cannot see where its feet will fall. And you know what? For some of us, we have built up walls around us. And we are not as free as God wants us to be. And we are kept in these enclosures that we or others have built around us. And God says, let me set you free. I have set you free, hopefully, from the fear of death, which is the greatest fear. I can set you free from every lesser fear. Now, I share with people, when I share this passage, and this is a passage sometimes that I preach at memorial services and funerals, I say, look. I don't have the fear of death anymore because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean I want to die. I don't want to die. But I don't fear death because I know where I'm going to go when I die. And it's not because I'm a good person or whatever. It's because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I die, I know the Bible assures me in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And the moment I close my eyes in death, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. Jesus even turned to the thief that was being crucified next to him and says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. So there's none of this waiting game according to the Bible. The Bible says, Once I die, I go to heaven. I don't need to fear death. I know this glory that awaits me when I die. And Jesus Christ has come to set me free. I just want to move on. I'm going to stop for any comments or questions. I just want to finish out chapter 2 here for a moment. Notice he says in verse 16, For surely, Hebrews... His concern is not for angels. It doesn't mean he's not concerned about angels. It just means the focus right now and what you're going through, he's concerned for you, for Abraham's descendants. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. Again, going back to that humanity of Jesus that was so important. So that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things relating to God. To make atonement for the sins of the people. And then I love this verse. For since He Himself, Jesus, suffered when He was tempted, tested, tried, He is able to help those who are tempted. Now, a couple things. Anytime people see this word tempted, they think of a moral thing. The word is actually in the original Greek language morally neutral. It doesn't mean something positive or negative. In fact, the word really better translated is test. And that test, more than the moral temptations that we think about, really come down to being pressured to give in or to give up. That's what the word in its root really means. Pressured to give in or to give up. And that's exactly why the Hebrews needed to hear this. Because at this point in their life, guess what? They were being pressured by outside forces to give in to those forces. And sometimes it, it does mean moral You know, uh, but it doesn't always have to be that. Pressured to give in to the forces or the temptations, pressured to give up to them. And I love this. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, pay close attention to this. He is able. First, that word is in the present tense. So that tells us it means He is continually able. It's not like, well, he helps me, he can help me on Monday, but he can't help me the rest of the week. No, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is continually able. The word in the original language is the word dunamal. It's the Greek word dunamis means power. And so what it's really saying here is he has the power. He has the ability. He is fit to help me. You know, it's one thing to have somebody who is sympathetic to your cause, but they can't help you. They don't have the power. They don't have the ability to be able to help you in your situation. The great thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying to us and to these folks is he's able to help you. He is able to assist you in whatever you need assisted in. And then... The word goes even beyond that. It's not only that he is able, but the word implies that he is also, and this is even as important, he's willing to help. You see, again, it's another thing even, if you had somebody in your life that was able to help you, what if they weren't willing? What if they were I don't want to take the time to help you, or I don't want to take the resources to help you, or I don't want to come alongside of you, it's going to cost me too much. The great thing that the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus Christ here to His people is that Jesus Christ has set us free from anything that's going to hinder us from becoming all that God created us to be on this side of glory. And glory is coming. And even when we do go through these times in our life where we are pressured to give in or to give up or whatever, that Jesus Christ is able continually... Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year, Jesus Christ is continually able. He has the power and He has the willingness. He's not up there in heaven going, oh Royce, you need me again? Come on. This is the thousandth time this month that you've needed my help. No. That is not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is up there wanting to help us. Okay. Let me back up. I'll rewind. I shouldn't say us. I'll speak for myself. I'm not going to speak for you. Jesus Christ wants to help Jeff Royce more than most of the time Jeff Royce wants his help. And that's the picture here. And that's what he wants to get across to these Hebrew Christians who are struggling to give in and to give up. Just keep your finger there. am going to come right back. But along with this, I want to take you back to 1 Corinthians. Here's a great verse that ties in with this. And if you've never memorized this verse or underlined this verse in your Bible or highlighted it or whatever, please do so. This verse should be a great encouragement to you this coming week. Not that any of you are going to go through anything rough or anything. I No, I understand. You guys have it all easy. I understand that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Same word... Same word, but sometimes it's translated test, sometimes it's translated trial, sometimes it's translated temptation. Okay? So like in my Bible, it says no trial. No trial. No trial? Yeah. No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. I'm telling you, just to remember that, As a pastor and as a counselor for almost 23 years, one of the things I come across more than anything else is when people are really struggling and having a hard time, primarily one of the reasons why is because they have become isolated. They isolate themselves. They pull away. You know there are people in your life or maybe they've pulled away from you or they pulled away from that support group. They feel like they're going through it all by themselves and it's somehow maybe what they're thinking and how they're feeling. Nobody else has ever gone through this or nobody else has these thoughts that I do or nobody else struggles as much as I do. And the Bible, I'm not talking about this isn't Jeff Royce's opinion, the Bible says that's just not true. That's a lie from Satan. Nothing that you and I think, nothing that you and I struggle with, whatever, is not something that other people don't struggle with either. We have to realize that. That's part of what can loosen the power that it has over us. And then he goes on to make this very important point that the writer of Hebrews is going to continue to make throughout the book of Hebrews too, and that's the faithfulness of God. And God is faithful to us. Even when we've been unfaithful to Him, He'll be faithful to us. He will not let you be tried Tested, go through a trial beyond what you are able to bear. But with the trial will also always provide a way, literally an exit out, so that you may be able to, but notice this, endure it. The way out is many times through. The way out You get me? The way out, many times, is through. God won't necessarily take that trial away, but He will give us the strength, the grace, the help, the aid, the assistance to get through it and endure it. And this is a message, again, that ties into the book of Hebrews. Because God wasn't necessarily taking away the persecution and all the trials these people were going through, but in His wisdom, He knew that they were becoming stronger because of it. I like what one Christian author has said. He said, God whispers to us in the good times of life, He shouts to us in our pain. And so, I know there are times... because. Again, we've all shared these times, right, as human beings. It's, just, it's common to being a human being. We've all been there in life when we're questioning the wisdom of God. Because I've been there. I've looked up at God and i said, God, I am not able to bear this. You are giving me something that is beyond my ability to bear. This is too hard for me, God. And God in His wisdom, I'm so glad that He didn't listen to me. Because looking back on it, I'm glad He allowed the things He did in my life because they did make me stronger. They did draw me closer to Him. They did build my character. They were for my better good. And as I've shared before, God loves us. But His love is not a pampering love. His love is a perfecting love. His love is a love that has latched onto us and said, I want to make you like my Son Jesus Christ. And so sometimes in order for us to become more like Jesus Christ, the trials will shape us. As we all know, that dirty old piece of coal, if you put it under enough pressure, can become a beautiful diamond. And sometimes the pressures of life and the stresses of life can actually produce... Something very beautiful. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to go through times where we believe this is beyond my ability to endure, but we've got to trust God at those times to know He knows best. And and He's either going to take the trial away because it is too great for us, or He's going to give us the grace to endure it and go through it and become better through it and be stronger on the other side. God knows. I'll give you one example, and then I really promise I'm going to shut up for a moment. (laughs) If you recall the arrest of Jesus Christ in the garden that night, they came to arrest Jesus, but they were also coming to arrest the disciples. And Jesus knew that the disciples weren't ready to handle that yet. And so you remember what happened. They came to arrest Jesus, and He basically said, you can have me, because I'm, I'm going to turn myself over to you, but you can't have these men. You have no right, to, and, and it's going to be too much for them. And if you remember the story, I love this story, where the, they, they come to arrest Jesus, but they're also about ready to grab the disciples, and the Bible says that Jesus just sort of, again, gave a glimpse of His glory, and the Bible says that all those Roman soldiers just flew back away from Jesus, just like... And it was just like Jesus saying, no no no. You're not going to touch them. You're not going to ar- you can arrest me. You can put me on trial. You can put me on that cross tomorrow, but you're not going to touch them yet. They're not able to bear it yet. And so I'm going to protect them from that. That's just one illustration in the Bible of when God knew what was beyond the ability of those who were following him to be able to bear it. And He protected them from that. That's what Paul's saying. God will make a way. Even if He has to come down Himself and blow our enemies back, He'll do whatever it takes because He loves us. He does care for us. He is going to protect us. But He also wants to make us more like Himself. And sometimes that means instead of protecting us from the fire... As the book of Daniel teaches us, sometimes He's going to just be right there in the midst of the fire walking with us. Sometimes that's the way it is. Alright. Closer to the Lord, we have a better relationship. And I know this is going to sound kind of strange because the Bible tells us to pray for one another. But I almost asked myself the question, when I pray for somebody going through a difficult time, you know, should I be praying that that difficult time stop? Or should I just be praying that the Lord's will be done... And that if it's a trial to help them grow, that they do grow. Mm -hmm. You see, it's it's kind of a, how exactly should we be praying? Knowing what we know about (sighs) being tested and going through trials, how exactly should we pray for one another? Did everybody hear the question? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for speaking loud, so I didn't have to remember that. Uh, Great question. In fact, uh, a couple people came up to me a couple Sundays here in a row since this whole Pastor Lynn with the will of God and asked me the very same question. Uh, I'll answer it this way. And again, this is just my perspective on it. I think it's perfectly acceptable to God, again, because He knows our hearts and He knows we're human and He knows the love that we have for other people. I think it's perfectly acceptable to God to pray specifically for somebody to be healed or whatever, to not have to go through the pain they're going through as long as at the end of the prayer and at the end of the day, we let how it's all going to turn out in God's hands. Alright? So in other words, I don't think it's wrong to say, hey, heal my friend, Lord. I, I would really like to see that happen. But, prefacing it in there some way, but God, I know you know best. And so I'm going to leave the finality of it to you. That's acknowledging the sovereignty of God over the situation and whatever and saying, God, I'll accept, as Lynn has spoken so eloquently about, you know, God, here's what I want, but what You want might be something different. And see, I don't have a problem to me telling God what I want as long as I don't insist on that's what I want or I'm going to, you know, that I recognize that, God, I would like this to happen but if you want something else to happen, I'll be cool with that too. Because God wants us to share our heart and He doesn't want us to not be transparent. I think the cool thing is, and maybe this sort of meshes them together, in the Psalms it says, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And I think there comes a point as we grow and as we become closer to the Lord the more time we spend in the presence of God and in His Word or whatever, that our desires and His desires sort of mesh anyway and they become one. So that I'm not going to pray for something that really the heart of God is not into. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to pray knowing that our hearts are sort of synced on this thing. Because ultimately, when we're praying, the thing that trumps everything else, is the glory of God. More than what somebody, what we're going, the thing that trumps everything is the glory of God. That was true in John chapter 11 when Jesus turned to His disciples and said, I know that people are summoning me to go over there and heal Lazarus before he dies, but this death is going to be for the glory of God. Because we know Jesus knew, well, he's going to die, but I'm going to raise him anyway. So, you know, again, because I, I conquer death. So, yeah, great question and. I think it's it's cool. Star. Oh, man, you had to ask that, didn't you? I was going to try to get by that tonight. No, I'm I'm glad you did. Let me just say this, and I realize everybody in this room, we're not going to agree on this, okay? There's good people. I'll just say it. There's good people on both sides, or actually there's more than two sides of this. I'll just tell you this, and I'm I'm in line here with what the church believes. If you read the doctrinal statement of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, they would say the same thing. Um, And I think this passage teaches, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 3 and 4. This great salvation was first communicated through the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. That's the apostles. Okay? The reason they were apostles is because to be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they were a special group. And the Bible wasn't completed yet. So here's God sending out the apostles to start the church and everything, but there was no completed Bible yet. Alright? And so how were these people in the world supposed to know that these apostles were truly from God? God, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, was going to confirm that they were His spokesmen. How was He going to do that? Notice. He was going to confirm their witness as they went around the world witnessing with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. And I just take the position, and this church just takes the position, that there were some apostolic gifts of the Holy Spirit that were just laid upon those apostles to confirm that they were His spokesmen And that those gifts passed off the scene whenever the apostles passed off the scene. Because once the church was established, and once the Bible was completed, we now have, in the Word of God, all the confirmation that we need. We don't need some kind of miracle. Like, I don't need to come up here tonight and heal somebody We're just speaking straight from the Word of God. And if I say something that doesn't line up with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit inside of you will roll up that red flag and go, "Uh, I think you better look more at that in the Bible. I don't think Jeff's got that right. You know? That's what the Holy Spirit is to do. He's the check and balance. He's the ultimate teacher. Because as human beings, we can be... Obviously, God can use us to teach the Bible, but we're not perfect. We can make mistakes. So, that's why the ultimate teacher needs to be the Holy Spirit of God. And He'll be the ultimate confirmation as you study the Word of God and you come to your own conclusions and convictions through Him. Alright? But that confirmation isn't needed anymore because of the completed Word of God. So, there were gifts that were given just to the apostles. Like, being able to go up like Paul did with a handkerchief and brush over somebody and they were healed. Or raise somebody from the dead. We, you know, I mean, I love Linda Death, but he can't raise people from the dead. You know, he just can't do it. He doesn't have, okay? It was a special time and a, a special part of history where the Holy Spirit was just doing amazing things through this group to confirm to the audiences that they were witnessing to, hey, listen to these guys, they're from God. Again, let me just emphasize because you want to the Holy Spirit. The reason we don't need those confirming signs today is because as you as Christians listen to a pastor or a Bible teacher, speak the Word of God, you have a confirmation inside of you. that confirmation is the living Holy Spirit of God. And if there's something being taught or said that goes against what God said, the Holy Spirit will alert you to that. In fact, let me go over to 1 John chapter 2. Let's, let's look at this. This is important. Because a lot of people, this is something very important that I think we need to go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. He's talked here in this book about false teaching and things that aren't right. You know, Like one of the false teachings was you can get to a point on this side of heaven where you don't sin anymore. Yeah, right. That's not biblical. I mean, I I always want to strive to be more like Christ, but I'm never going to get to a point on this side of heaven where I become perfect. That doesn't happen. So there's those kind of teachings swirling around, right? Now notice verse 27 of 1 John 2. Now as for you, the anointing you receive from Him, God, resides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach. you. again, that doesn't mean that God doesn't use teachers and pastors. In fact, the Bible says, He gives pastors and teachers to the church so that they can teach and encourage people in the teaching of the Word of God. What he's simply saying is don't let that human teacher be the final word. Let the Holy Spirit who resides in you be the final word. As His anointing teaches you about all things, it is true and it is not a lie just as it has taught you and you reside in Him. And then if you go over to chapter 4, I love this verse. Dear friends, verse 1: Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets, teachers, pastors have gone out into the world. And you see what he's teaching us there? That what we're being taught isn't just words, there's a spirit behind it. That's why he says, Test the spirits. Do you realize what he's saying there? He's saying everything that we hear every day is either coming from God ultimately or it's coming from Satan. There's only, there's only two sources in this world. Either what we're hearing is the truth that's coming from God and has God as its source or its lies and its misbeliefs and its false doctrine that ultimately finds its source in Satan. And that's why he tells them here in 1 John 4, you better test those spirits. You better put them to the test. You better begin reading your Bible and studying your Bible and getting into Bible studies like the mind and growing in your understanding of the Bible. And then, obviously, none of us are going to know everything the Bible teaches. But that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit too. Because even when we don't know that specific verse or passage that may alert us that Yeah, there's something wrong here. The Holy Spirit's going to tell us. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of us that we've been anointed with and who lives in there is going to say, Whoa, Jeff, I don't think what that guy just said up there. I don't think that's right. Look at this passage over here and check that out a little bit more. See? So it's so cool. God gives us these checks and balances now. Instead of the apostles and their confirming signs through these miracles and stuff, God has given us the Bible... It's our authority and the Holy Spirit of God Himself. And between those two, you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. Good question. Jeff? Yeah, no, it's a great passage. And, and it goes along, you know, people today say, well, God, give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. It's the only sign we need. Everything that we need is in this book. Everything we need, you see. God has spoken. Spoken, past tense, through His Son. Jesus Christ is the full... If, if we want a sign, just pay attention as the, to what He's already said. It's in there. The encouragement, the hope, everything we need is here. One of the things that I have tried to do throughout the years is get folks to see the sufficiency of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are sufficient. God hasn't answered in this book everything we want to know. But He has given us in this book everything that we need to know. If there's things we want to know and He has it answered Him for us, hopefully when we get to heaven, He will. But everything we need to know is in here. Right here. Here it is. Let's pay attention to it. Okay? Yes. I, I think for... It's a great question and not certainly a bad question at all. I guess the way I would answer that is... The Holy Spirit can give you His supernatural gift of peace. Um, and to me, for instance, and I have good friends who feel the same. You know, they have a difference of opinion. They may say, but Jeff, you know, don't you feel incomplete because you're not doing this? No, I, I feel pretty complete. <laughs> and I, have a, I, I don't have from the Holy Spirit feeling like I'm being left out or I'm not experiencing all that God has for me at all. And I can lay my head on that pillow at night and feel like I've got the fullness of God in my life just because I might not be experiencing some of these things over here that they think are absolutely necessary to experience the fullness of God. Again, and I don't just go on that on the feeling of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Bible teaches that. And I've shown them those verses. The Bible says... For instance, in Colossians 2.10, that for every Christian, we are complete in Jesus Christ. So that if somebody comes along to me and says, well, I know you are born again Christian, you've got Jesus Christ, but in order to really be a born again Christian, you need this. And I go, but doesn't that contradict what the Bible says when it says that all I need is Jesus Christ and that's it? It's not Jesus Christ plus an experience or plus something else. It's just Jesus Christ, period. I go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. Want. I don't want for anything. And to me, knowing how the Holy Spirit works in my life, I can miss things. But the Holy Spirit knows how thick I am, so He'll come back around again. And He's done it anywhere. Okay, I missed that sign. You know, I missed that yield over here. Guess what? God comes back. Because if something is that important, that God thinks it's that important in my life, He's not going to just be subtle about it and just give me a little you know, sign or whatever and then if I bypass it, that's it. No, God's going to just keep... I've shared this before. I even knew it was God. Okay? God called me to be a pastor when I was 11 years old. I'm like, you're kidding, Right? And I knew it was from God. And I knew what He wanted. And I just ignored it. And God did not let me rest for ten years until the age of 21. I said, Uncle, (laughs) I can't do this anymore, God. I give in. I'll become a pastor. So when God really is urging you and, and He knows something is that important and He doesn't want you to miss it, trust me, He's going to make it really obvious and very clear. That's why I encourage people, okay, don't be upset if you feel like you missed it. If it's important enough, God will bring it back around and go, here it is again, Jeff, you know, don't miss it this time. Okay, God, I I get it that time. So, you're right, though, we all struggle with that. But just, again, to be encouraged, God's not going to let us miss the most important things. He's going to bring them back around even if we missed it. So, and the peace of God is huge. Huge, huge, huge. All right. Oh, guys, you're great. Wasn't it more comfortable in here this week than last week? As far as at least the heat goes. And listen, guys, I know it's crowded in here, but I just so appreciate you hanging in there. Just give us a couple more weeks and we're going to be down in that room and we're going to be able to spread out. And it's going to be great. And we want you to, I don't want to discourage you from inviting, you know, friends to come. You're like, where are we going to put them? We'll figure out a place, okay? Let me close in prayer and I'll let you guys go. We'll pick it up in chapter 3 of Hebrews next Tuesday evening. By the way, the very first thing in Hebrews chapter 3 is take note of Jesus. Take note of Jesus. Consider Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. If I could leave you with something tonight as you leave here, Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Keep paying attention to Him. He is there to help you continually. He's got the power. He's got the willingness. He won't allow you to be tempted above what you are able. He'll provide a way for you. I don't know what your week holds, but I know this. I know a God who can help you with whatever you're going to deal with this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank You for the good time we've had in Your Word and the worship tonight. Thank You, Lord, for Seth taking the time to be here too to just bring us into Your presence and to prepare our hearts for Your Word. And Father, we just pray You would continue to use Your Word every Tuesday night. Lord, again, we don't want this time to just be for information, but for transformation. We want to be encouraged. We want to be challenged. We want to grow. We want to draw near to You in this time. Lord, help this just to be a very special time in our lives that we really look forward to. And Lord, again, I just want You to bless these folks because I know how they have... You know, they've went the extra mile these first couple of weeks here this semester with all that's going on here at Cornerstone. And I just so appreciate their attitude and, and Lord, just hanging in there and going through the inconveniences that we're having to go through right now until until our building is built and we get more room. Father, just thank you for blessing us so much and sending so many people our way. And, Lord, thank you for all these folks who want to study your word And Father, I just pray that it might even start with this group of people on Tuesday night, that there would just be a groundswell all over this church campus, that there would be more and more people who would just develop that hunger, that passion, that desire to study Your Word more and more. Father, we believe it's the answer. And Lord, we just want to see more and more people connect to the Bible. And thank You, Lord, for the encouragement You give us through it. Lord, take us all home safely. Bring us back next week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're great. I love you. Have a great week.